practical spirituality, positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome, everyone, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. This is a show for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little bit deeper into life than you may do on your own. We are aiming to offer you a unique perspective from both worlds, the world of psychology and the world of spirituality at the same time. I'm Callie Alpert, and I'm here with my dear friend, co-host, and spiritual psychotherapist, Steve Hassenberg. Hello, Callie. Hello. It's nice to see you after all of your adventures. <laughs> yeah, we um, haven't been live for a good amount of weeks cumulatively over the last month or so for a variety of um, reasons, just having to do with schedules and other demands in life. And so it's very nice to be back and doing a fresh show. And we've missed this and missed all of you. So and we hello. like we like fresh shows. We do love fresh shows. So today, talking about a fresh show, <laughs> talking about a nice light topic, the spiritual side <laughs> of depression and anxiety. Oh, my God. Um, anxiety. You ready? Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, anxiety and depression plague millions of people in the United States every day, every year. And when we look at the spiritual meaning behind mental illness, we can discover some very interesting things. Depression can actually serve as a tool to remove us from life for a while and compel us to re-examine our beliefs and challenges we need to face. And anxiety can shine a light on the fears that limit our personal growth and force us to face them at a deeper level. We will share our own bouts with mental challenges and offer guidance that can help shift the struggles that depression and anxiety create. I do want to say right at the um, out of the gate, too, that we take this topic certainly very seriously. We both have been deeply impacted by mental illness in our lives, and we'll talk more about that as the show progresses. So um, this is a, a different reframe that sort of represents the hybrid of the modalities that we come from. It's certainly not in any way to um, minimize or make light of some very, very serious issues. And at the end of the show, we'll offer some um, other resources for people that might really be struggling in a way that this show may not help. So I just want to say that out of the gate. Um, so let's talk first about depression and anxiety you were um you felt strongly about pointing out to me when we started working on the show that um his, that historically the school of psychology didn't really deal with the like with the human as a as a whole with the essence of a human right well that's the clinical way to say it but <laughs> that's highly clinical <laughs> <laughs> that's me clinical okay well, what I was saying was that um, if you contrast Eastern spiritual thought and Eastern philosophies, whether it's Taoism or Buddhism, um, among others, um, what you find is that in the East, they've always believed that the core of a human being has an, an eternal aspect to it that they talk about the bliss inside of us or they mm -hmm. talk about the inner peace that's available to us mm -hmm. or the unbounded infinite timeless spaciousness whereas western psychology really never addressed that aspect of a human being. Right. They saw it more externally, more in terms of character, more in terms of behavior. So it wasn't until Abe Maslow came along, 
who was a psychologist, and he started talking about human peak experiences, which we can talk more about. And he was the one, just for those of us in like Psychology 101, who created the is it the, the pyramid of self-actualization or yes. the, like the seven steps of self-actualization, starting with like your core biological needs and a, climbing the pyramid to your self-actualization. Perfect. Um, the other thing is that the um, our beloved transcendentalists, like oh, our yes. Whitmans and our Emersons and our Thoreaus, also understood a deeper value and a deeper sort of core spirituality that psychologists were a little on a different timeline to you discover. You could say a lot of the poets and the philosophers were onto this stuff from the beginning of time. Yeah, yeah, they're ancient wisdoms, right? They were more tuned in and sometimes crazy. We often talk about tuned in people being a little mad, but they're always ahead of the game. Right. They're always seeing ahead or seeing into in a way that other, other people don't. Right. right. So the transcendentalists in the United States were really tuned in to the soul, uh, to the spirit of humanity and what uh, Emerson called the commonwealth. And what he, what, the commonwealth is an interesting term because it's the wealth, the spiritual wealth of people. So you could say the commonwealth of Massachusetts. They, it, that's where that word came from. Really? Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I always think of it as our you know, the consortium of like Anglo um, countries. Exactly. The British right. Commonwealth, you know. Um, but I like that. And in some ways, too, as I'm just listening to you describe this whole, the idea of a bigger essence, it's a really, it's a nice springboard in some ways for um, our listeners that may doubt what a lot of what we're about to say. <laughs> And the idea of listen, you know, that there there is a spiritual reframe that can be done often with depression and anxiety and certain aspects right. of it, because the ancient traditions teach that there is something bigger than this, that there is an, an essence, that there is a higher self, that we're not caught in our webs of our just what's happening in our bodies and our brains and our thoughts and our egos. And so maybe that's a good foundation from which to launch this conversation. If you believe that that's true, then what we're about to share might have a little bit more um, space. Good. Right. Does that make yep. sense? I like it um, a lot. I just wanted to say also, if anybody would like to join the conversation today, you can call us at 816-251-3555. We always love to hear from you, share your stories, ask for advice, guidance. We can lend an ear. Um, so please join us, 816-251-3555. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the reframes that we're proposing and just okay. the value underneath depression and anxiety. So let's start with depression. Okay. Right. You've said that depression is a way, um, means that your way of thinking isn't working and that it asks of us to rethink our habitual thoughts that we often recycle, which basically right. I translate into, as I always do, is that our brains are our common enemy on a lot of levels. Our brains are our best friends and our right. best enemies. Right. Yes, <laughs> right. you're kinder to the brain than me. Yes. <laughs> I am kinder. So this is the, a theory that I uh, uh, found in a book called The Hassenberg Theory. <laughs> published in? Published in uh, 1841. <laughs> uh-huh. And... Uh, what, the idea behind this theory is that it is not the only way of looking at depression, but I was trying to figure out a way of looking at it from a very positive spiritual point of view at one point in my career. And what I realized is that depression is always throwing you out. Mm. It's, it's pushing you out. It's throwing you out. It's causing a retreat. And uh, I thought about why is it doing this? It's doing this, in my theory, um, 
because it wants us to recalibrate and reimagine and rethink and reemote in regards to the reality that we have been living in. So basically it throws us out, gives us time to rethink so we can come back with new thoughts, new beliefs, new values, new behaviors in order to have a different kind of life. Because depression is saying what I'm thinking and what I'm doing isn't working for me. And mm. because it's not working for me, I'm giving up. Mm. I can't do this. And it goes on for month after month or year after year. But I'm saying the idea of it is for you to recalibrate yourself. Mm. So trying to think of where to go because there's so much there. Um, so we're looking, we'll propose that as our first kind of hypothesis today, which is that depression, given the nature of it and the way it's, uh, it, it propels us away from ourselves or mm -hmm. causes us to repel against something that is going on in our minds or our experiences, that right. it's an opportunity to rethink those thoughts and ask ourselves if those thoughts are true, which right. we'll get to a little bit later. Um, anxiety means that you need to shine a light on your fears, mm -hmm. right? Well, the, yeah, the idea is that what is anxiety? The anxiety is the body's getting ready to, you know, the old fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. I'm getting ready to flee. I'm getting ready to fight. I have to move, something's wrong, and that's being created by the amygdala, which we've talked about, My one of my <laughs> Your favorite, favorite body parts. My favorite gland. <laughs> and everybody has to have a favorite gland. <laughs> Thank the you. The walnut-sized gland, right? Right. Isn't that the, the word for it? Is, um, isn't that the English amygdala translation? Amygdala in Italian is uh, almond. Oh, almond, I'm sorry. Thank you. Okay. And so what's happening is the amygdala is firing, 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 sending lactic acid through the bloodstream, increasing the heartbeat, the pulse, and uh, all these things are getting ready for you to do something. That's what anxiety is, and it's coming from fear. Mm. So the amygdala is responding to fears. They may be true, or they may be imaginary. So what do you say to people that feel like they are bound by biochemistry? You know, obviously this is not a new concept that it's our physiology and our biochemistry that's creating separate from circumstances that are either creating or, or contributing that our bodies are doing this to us or with us first and that our bodies and our chemistry is the, and, and a misalignment in our body chemistry is underneath depression and anxiety. I would say that's absolutely true mm -hmm. because I work with depression and anxiety all the time mm -hmm. for years and years and years. But what's also absolutely true is that thought forms and beliefs create biochemistry. Right. So I think that's really what's helpful for people to understand, take into consideration, too, that are struggling is that it's a holistic thing. This amazing human body machine of ours is working in a very interconnected way, and there isn't a chicken or an egg necessarily with more um, current research and with these theories that we're proposing, too, that they inform each other, that one doesn't happen first and then cause the other one to happen, right? I mean, it, it's a circle. Right. Because thoughts create biochemistry. Right. Biochemistry can also create thoughts. And so it becomes a circular situation mm -hmm. and people get stuck mm -hmm. in that circle. That spiral, which is not fun. And you and I have both been there and we've been raised by it and we've been around it and we loved people with it. And it's um, it's very deep and very pervasive. And it's only gotten, I think, more pervasive in recent years between our society changing, certainly COVID has contributed to um, people's anxiety and depression. And there's so many different levels and degrees to which people struggle with all of this. Um, so the other thing we want to remind people now as we kind of talk 
this out and get a little more deeply into this conversation is that it's probably, excuse me, helpful to remember as we were um, alluding to some of the tradition, like ancient traditions and transcendentalists and people that knew and have known for a long time and remind us that there's something bigger than us, that at our deepest spiritual core, we are meant to be and predisposed to be happy, peaceful, joyous, boundless. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that way, though, when you're caught? It's really, really hard to, I, I guess, first of all, it's important to just remember that that is at the core. You have to sort of take a leap of faith as your belief system and believe that to be true. But when you're in the depths of struggling with anxiety or depression, how in the world are you supposed to get to a higher place with it? We're going to go into some of the more um, specific ways that you can get unstuck in a few moments. But generally, philosophically speaking, how do you, you know, how do you say that to somebody who's in a deep state of despair? I don't. (laughs) That's why you're so wise. I, I don't. So if somebody comes into my office and it has chronic depression or major depression. I certainly don't start off by telling them that at the core of themselves, there's this very juicy inner peace. Right. But I may say that after a month. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It really depends. It's always a tailor-made kind of thing, right? Right, right. But I know that in my work with that person, I'm going to be helping them uncover the issues. Usually with depression, they're they're recycled narratives of negative emotions. And we're going to get into the negative emotions and we're going to learn about them and we're going to befriend them and we're going to have a way of resolving them. And that's the kind of work I do in my office. So what do you do first? Nothing. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. listen to the listen, person. Right. Let somebody just gut it out and feel their feelings. So you listen to the person, you give them time to emote, but then you start working on uncovering the faulty narratives that are running the program. And there are <laughs> always faulty narratives running the always. Yes, always. And always. that's one, one thing that I've learned in deepening my practice, what I've learned from what I've learned from you and my readings and just my own personal ride is that um, because the, the more space you make, and again, we'll talk about this more deeply, the more you learn ways to quiet your mind and make more space and have more air for your body to breathe and your essence to come through, um, the more you realize how much your um, one's mind is often in control. And then it becomes an exercise in asking how much of it is true, how much of it is just... I, I find myself still doing this in the middle of the night, often, where you call it the bonfire. It's like once you make space for one little thing that starts looping in your mind, you start piling on everything else and you start realizing that you feel really yucky this week and everything's horrible and then you search for other things and you pile wood onto the bonfire until it becomes this thing and it's really a matter of as my mother always um, has has said over the years which is ironic and we'll talk about her as well um, that you just have to visualize the stop sign sometimes you just the first step is just to remind yourself to stop and to know that your mind is a separate entity that the more you can separate yourself from and observe as this sort of creature being energy that's not you that's just a part of you is a nice way to um to start creating a sense of witnessing which i think is probably one of our early steps to really encourage people to think about doing well that's a beautiful idea and um because the the brain works like a google search engine so if if you're dwelling on something what the brain will do will bring up evidence Mm. of the thing you're dwelling on. Wow, that's so good, that metaphor. I love that. Ad infinitum and ad nauseum. I was just going to say ad nauseum. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's why people get sick, okay? The brain keeps bringing up evidence. So I say it's like a Google engine because if you put a sentence in Google, it will bring up, One billion responses that are similar to that within a nanosecond. Mm. 
the brain is the same. Yeah. So that's such a great, important thing also to keep in mind as we talk about this is that it really is an entity unto itself and we do have more control over it that we might know or give ourselves credit for. And perhaps we just don't have the tools to, um, to, to, to do that as, you know, as well as we can. So that's sort of what we're intending to share today. Um, let's see, before we get to the vasanas and samskaras, my favorite topic, because, um, we'll, we'll get to those, but those are Sanskrit words for sort of the scripts that are, and stories that are embedded in us that we, um, often have a hard time shaking. I could speak from firsthand experience on that. We also had been talking about Ram Dass. I'm finally reading his um, book, his final um, book biography um, that was uh, put out just before or just after he passed. Um, and when talking about him, you know, you think about in the what it was like the, the late mid to late 60s, the work that he was doing um, at Harvard and with Timothy Leary and then later on his own with all his psychedelic experiences or experiments rather and research is that it really blew the lid off of what was um, and exposed what was possible in terms of getting out of our heads and getting bigger into a higher essence of divinity and how at that time it was the use of psychedelics, um, psilocybin, right, and LSD that yes. were primarily yeah. um, facilitating their experiments. Yes. Uh, but just, you know, again, a good little side note for anybody who's interested in reading some of the origins of when this kind of thinking or these kinds of teachings became a little bit more mainstreamed it, it, in the United States, at least. And when ancient traditions and ancient medicines were brought like to the fore again, it was really during that time. So good reference. I love that reference. I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, so. Let's talk a little bit before we take our first call today um, about vasanas and samskaras in the context of depression and anxiety. We've talked about them on the show several times along the way. Let's talk first about, you can give the literal translation since you'll do it more justice than me. Well, yeah, I'm somewhat of a Vedic scholar. Yes. And so in the Vedas are 4,500-year-old spiritual philosophical teachings the Upanishads came from that time the Bhagavad Gita the Mahabharata came from that time and um, they talked about the word samskara and so samskara means impressions left in the heart from previous lifetimes and then they talked about another word vasana And the vasanas were the beliefs, wishes, dreams, and desires and fears that came from the samskaras, these very strong experiences. And so those two mixed together create the feelings, reactions, and narratives that we carry with us from lifetime to lifetime, hoping to resolve them hoping to understand and learn from them, and then they fade away. But whatever's left is sent forward through your incarnation, through your mother's womb, into your little brain. (laughs) Little brain. I like how you look. Well, you only have me to look at today, but you say little brain, you look at me, which is appropriate. Um, So this to me is, this has been one that's been a very, very valuable teaching for me. I'm still working with, you know, and I think about, I've had, we all have our storylines and things that really bog us down. I've probably struggled separate from my family of origin, family dysfunction, trauma, and psychological abuse from having a mentally ill mother, which is um, something we'll, I don't mean to bury the lead, but I want to do that conversation justice when we talk a little bit more about our personal stories. Um, the two of my biggest scripts, two of my biggest samskaras that have been very, very difficult for me to shake have been around money and lack and have been around, um, like habituated singleness and feeling like there's no man on the planet that's meant to be my like life partner. And they both caused me a lot of pain and suffering a lot of the time. And, um, and the circumstances have legitimately backed that up. Now, whether I'm creating the circumstances, whether my samskaras are playing out in circumstances so that I can still learn more and look at them as opportunities to grow and heal, I'm going to, I'm going to lean toward the latter because I've learned that those 
storylines can really be very, um, very stubborn. And it also gives us permission not to feel like we're crazy, not to feel like we're missing something, not to feel like we're losers, not to feel like we could have done more. There's a a removal of shame and a little bit more of a um, sense of permission of self-love and um, gentleness with yourself when you can look at it from these sort of angles, I find, because it's like it's bigger than me or older than me in this particular incarnation. So I find them really helpful. How about you? I, I, you, you said it beautifully, and um, I find them helpful because it's like a mindfulness practice because we get to step back mm-hmm. from ourselves and also, if we really believe it, say, oh, I don't have to blame myself for this. I brought it with me mm-hmm. from other lifetimes because it was unresolved, and I have the opportunity to try to heal it. So it puts me in a different position to it, then I'm at the mercy of it. Right. I love, And that's such an important thing. And that sort of speaks to the bigger theme of being able to maybe get on top of your depression and your anxiety. So we're going to be back in just a moment. When we come back, we're going to take our first caller of the day, and we're going to give you some specific suggestions about how to get unstuck. We will be right back. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome back, everyone, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. I'm Callie Alpert here in the central Hudson Valley with my dear friend, spiritual psychotherapist. I don't know why spiritual is sputtering out of my mouth today. It's the second time. Steve Hassenberg. It's a good sign, Callie. Is it? Yeah. And he's in Los Angeles, California. Why is it a good sign that I'm sputtering out the word spiritual? Because you're sputtering because you, you're not going to be logical anymore. Oh, is that what it is? I'm out of yeah. my head now? Okay. Yeah. You always have such a good creative answer for everything. Everything <laughs> is permissible for you. Everything. Almost um, everything. Almost everything, except for the right the, the universal deal breakers. Um, so we're talking today about the spiritual side of anxiety and depression how um, when we get caught in those two um, syndromes, issues, emotions, I guess depression and um, anxiety, are they technically emotions? I don't want to misrepresent. They're not technically emotions, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so when we get stuck in those, there are ways to um, to try to find space ways to try to become witness. The other thing I wanted to say before the break is what I've learned, which I can offer too, is the idea of neutrality. You know, there's a great quote that I learned recently that joy is what's happening minus your opinion of of it. (laughs) Um, I still can't remember who to credit it with, but it's legit. And, um, and it's so simple and it just has to do with the fact that everything that happens just happens and it's our storylines and what our minds do and the value that we attach to things, both positively and negatively, that often stirs and dictates our mood. So if we can find a way to get a little bit more um, spacious around that, it can help us to become less caught in these webs. Beautiful, Callie. So let's take a call. Caller, are you there? Hi, I'm here. Hi. What's your name and where are you calling from today? I'm Jan, and I'm calling from Santa Monica, California. And what's your name? I didn't hear the first part. Jan. Hi, welcome. Do you have a question or a comment about our topic today? I've got a question. I'm curious because um, I I think this might, yeah, it would apply. I've been reading a lot about the use of psychedelics to treat things like um, depression and alcoholism. And can you explain how that works and what type of results they may have? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, you should you should answer this as the as the professional psychotherapist in the in the room. 
Oh, do you want me to go first? Please. Okay. So, uh, one of the first studies that was done was in um, 2016 at Johns Hopkins University. And they uh, decided to study the use of psilocybin with uh, chronic and we could even say almost untreatable depression. And um, the results were so startling, startling meaning that after a uh, what is called a guided session, guided session is a therapeutic session where doses of psilocybin are given that may go on for about eight hours. After one of those sessions, 50% of the participants didn't have uh, chronic depression over the next month. It was an astounding thing that happened, right? And so then the, the question is, why does that happen? And by the way, after that John Hopkins study, um, studies went on at the University of London, New York University, out here at USC, there are things going on for uh, PTSD, for alcoholism, for anxiety, um, wonderful, wonderful results from all of these studies. And so the first thing that I always talk about is the fact that people have mystical experiences during those eight hours and the mystical experiences take you out of where you've been we talked about that at the beginning of the program um, in terms of depression taking you out of your reality and they place you in what we were talking about as kind of an eastern place where you experience your oneness with life your your experience of love increases exponentially. Your experience of peace increases exponentially. And you're basically taken far away from where you usually live. And by doing that and with therapeutic help, you're able to evaluate things from a position of extraordinary wisdom mm-hmm. and extraordinary uh, oneness apart from the ego and apart from the recycling uh, negative emotions that are usually burdening a person. Mm -hmm. So that's the beginning of why they may work and why they're so effective. And what I can say from personal experience, having experimented with a good amount of drugs, um, both in college, not as mindfully as I did in my thirties, um, is that, uh, it it really it it does work and it definitely taps you into it moves you more into your heart space out of your head space into your heart space out of a place of logic into and reason maybe um, into more of a place of love and so the more that you can create space to remember again that larger picture that we sort of started the show with the fact that there's a larger essence there's a larger oneness there's something bigger than us that we don't have to be caught in our own experiences in our own heads um, and these drugs facilitate that. So while, you know, we're not advising that anybody go and do any reckless experimentation, there are, and it's on coming back now, right, on, on the verge of legalizing um, a lot of these uh, therapies and modalities that were um, made illegal, like in the early 70s, well, early 70s for LSD and 80s, I think, for MDMA, right? right? Um, and... That's basically the gist of it. Physiologically, obviously, Steve could explain it better, and it has to do with the way they open up your neurons and your synapses in your brain. But spiritually and mystically, um, they reconnect you with something that's bigger, or as Timothy Leary used to say, the eternal present. And there's something really beautiful about remembering that that's where we all came from because we're really good at not living from that place when we're here in these earthly bodies. Good. That's two good explanations. How does that feel, Jan? That feels good. Um, so it, are you saying that it's based basically about remembering um, our source? And then what happens when we forget again? Exactly. So it's about remembering. My favorite our... topic. <laughs> 
So it's a beautiful way of putting it. It's remembering who we are, who we've always been, who we were before we took birth, who we'll be after we die. And that essence really stays with us. So if you talk to the people who've had these experiences, Mm -hmm. what they'll say is it was the single most important experience of my life. And so because that's so indelible and so potent, Mm -hmm. people remember it through time. So if, if if you're working with somebody who has terminal cancer, and they have experience of themselves, basically an experience of what it's going to be like after death. They come back from that and often say, I'm not afraid of dying anymore. So you can imagine Mm -hmm. that the period between then and the time they die is going to be very, very different because they're not going to be overwhelmed by depression and anxiety and fear anymore. Yeah, and that's the other thing I was going to say about these experiences. It's been... Um, 25 years since I've experimented with any, um, uh, drugs of this nature or any drugs really. And so I haven't, it's not as uh, visceral that frame of reference, which used to live in my body more loudly when I needed it, um, lasted for a good amount of years. And I can still summon it up enough to know that it's true, but I can't summon enough, uh, summon it up enough to really feel it throughout my body, which is why I've been thinking more lately about maybe doing something like this again. Um, but I think the more important point in all this again, is that this, um, this example of, of, um, hallucinogenic drug therapy, um, people that come back from near death experiences, people that are very, um, high consciousness in terms of their meditation practices or have had, you know, big, uh, experiences of ascension or spontaneous enlightenment, the storyline's the same, which is that there is this universal source from which we sprung, um, like Steve was saying earlier, that represents um, some of, you know, the things we referenced before in the show, you know, our, our basic sense of connectivity, our basic sense of love, the fact that there's something way bigger. And I think the more that you can deepen and fortify that belief system, um, most realistically through meditation and regular mindfulness practice. Everything we're talking about are great ways to, certainly not the near-death experience we don't have control over, Um, but the other ways are resets and can be kind of more drastic ways to kind of find this frame of reference again. But daily practice, daily mindfulness practice, daily meditation are ways that you can do it on your own. That's the reason someone like Ramdas traded out his psychedelic experiences for meditation and found more of his... um, the value of his life in India than he did when he was at Harvard. Um, does that help, Jen? Before I keep blathering on it, here, it's a, it's a, such an important you know, topic it, it, and not the primary reason that we're, um, you know, that we're, we're supporting, certainly not supporting drugs, not the primary modality we wanted to support today, but, um, but definitely a very important one. Does it help you? It does. The, uh, for me, the key word here is what you said, reinforce. Mm-hmm reinforce you know right yeah yeah that's great thank you thank you you're welcome thank you so much for joining us today so one of the um i think maybe we could talk about some of the steps that um before we get to our action steps which we are going to do separately we have um, just some general ideas for what to do when you get stuck it's almost like our our version a parallel of abraham abraham maslow's uh, pyramid of self-actualization or climbing the ladder of some very basic steps you can take when you're feeling like you're in the depths of despair with with depression or anxiety and want to try to maybe climb your way out with an, in a new direction. The first thing is to recognize that you're stuck and just foster some awareness around it and honor it and be, um, be try to find some acceptance around it. Um, the second one is to, as we always are proponents of on the show, is to gut out your feelings and make space and let yourself feel what you're feeling. So many times when, especially depending on who your support system is, if we're feeling like we're in a dark place, we start judging it or people around us start judging it. When are you going to feel better? Just put on a smile or go out and take a walk in the park and you know, make yourself uh, watch a funny movie. And, um, I think we, we both think it's really important that you have to make space 
uh, to honor these feelings and to get them out of your body. Um, Want to chime in so far? Oh, I like it a lot. <laughs> I lost my electricity. Oh, is that what happened? Are you still yeah. are you power power free right now? It's you okay. Good now. It's sorted in there. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is why you need two hosts on a radio show. When one <laughs> when one's I was killing an ant earlier, and when you have your electricity, you need to get up and walk away. We could still keep talking. Um, Thank you, Callie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So um, next would be to create some sort of space, like stop the thought. Sometimes it really is like what I referenced earlier, which is picture stop sign. If you can catch yourself and your brain sinking you deeper into your fears, into your anxieties, into your depressive narratives, try to stop. And even if you don't believe this and you think it's a crock and tomorrow you don't want to abide, you know, abide by it or adhere to it, try it on for one day. Don't even make yourself any big promises that it's anything that's going to work for you. But just experiment with it um, and see what happens when you kind of give yourself a little reset. You know, take a walk by the ocean, listen to music, call a friend, meditate, scream in the car. I'm a big proponent of crying deeply in my car. I used to scream in the car all the time, Mm -hmm. especially on the 405. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, It's 75 miles an hour. And then I would open all the windows of the car and I would keep screaming. Oh, because you wanted other people to hear or you just wanted the the screams, the energy to be released from your car? I wanted the wind to take everything out of my car (laughs) and purify me. Oh, I like that. Um, Well, I actually just did that. As you know, as you know, I was traveling in California and had quite a... (laughs) emotional week there for whatever reason, whatever purged, whatever demons were purging themselves from my body, having, you know, being away from my life here and having some space. And I did a lot of guttural crying in my car at 65 miles an hour on the 405. So thank you, 405. Um, And the car is a good container too. You know, some people do into a pillow for me, whatever reason it's in my car. And as long as you're driving safely, certainly, or make sure you pull over so you're safe. Um, and then get into maybe some of the deeper steps, which is to ask yourself, like, what's the story that's supporting your depression? What is your soul asking of you? This is a really helpful reframe, which is whenever you're going through something that's difficult or agonizing, ask what it wants of you rather than the very understandable and reflexive feelings, which are, I want to get rid of this. I want to feel better. I want to repel against it. I want this to be done. I can't deal with this anymore. Maybe you can find the space to ask what it's asking of you. What is your soul asking of you? What is the story asking of you? I think Wonderful. that's where we right? I like that. I'm going to throw something else on. Please do. So this is a, a very spiritual way of looking at things. But I would say, from all the work I've done with people, that when you feel like you're falling apart, It's really the precursor to awakening. And so every time that I have fallen apart, which has been numerous, (laughs) and I think I'll never get through it, and it's never going to change, and my life is not worth it, (laughs) if I move into it, if I spend enough time feeling it, dealing with it, resolving it, it's always representative of an awakening and kind of a new consciousness about things. Mm -hmm. The final vestiges of clearing stuff out, right? The final chaos before it all explodes and clears. And then this happens over and over again in different ways. Mm -hmm. But we never remember (laughs) that falling apart is actually awakening. Mm-hmm. It's true. (laughs) I remember we we once painted an image for me of, because you said this to me once when I was going through some pre-graduation of some corner, it was hopefully turning, and um, and you likened it to um, like cross currents in certain areas, like where a bay and an ocean might meet or a river and an ocean might meet where the currents are all uh-huh. um, more like there's a confluence of currents that are all uh-huh. kind of discordant with each other. And that was, your, um, that was your artistic metaphor for exactly what we're talking about. I like and, it a lot. Well, you came up with it, so I hope well, you do. Well, it's part of the Hasenberg theories. (laughs) There seem to be a good amount of them coming out lately. That's good. I'm I'm happy for that. Um, And then finally, um, in terms of these kind of steps on the ladder of 
smaller and bigger ways that you can try to help yourself get uncaught from the web of depression and anxiety is what I always call the big reframe. This is the Steve Hassenberg reframe, which is about getting to know whatever this fear or the storyline is, personifying the issue with a character. So if you're feeling, um, I'll, you know, use myself as an example, um, at times where I felt like really sad and extremely hopeful and despairing about the fact that I don't have a partner in my life, that I would try to identify the part of me that was afraid of being alone or didn't have the faith that that person really existed on the planet. And I would try to become a little bit more familiar with that story and trace it back to where that came from. And in my case, you know, in my childhood of not having a sense of feeling like I was too much for every human being on the planet and that I was never going to be met by somebody who could understand and receive me in my full Caliness and getting to know that part of me better. Um, it helps. I can't say I've fixed, you know, or sorted it out completely, but it definitely helps to, to um, soften the edges and to soften the pain because you start filling in these holes on your own rather than your mind throwing in storylines that, you know, distract you from them. I'll give you another example, which you have heard, but I like it a lot. So I had a bag man that lived with me, mm -hmm. not in actuality, but he came into my dreams and he also used to knock on the door in my therapy sessions and remind me that even though I was feeling very confident that very soon I'd have nobody coming anymore, nobody would want to see me and I'd be on the street pushing a cart. So he would always remind me of that. And uh, the way I came up with this whole technique was I made a decision to get to know him. And so, you know, the first piece was that I saw, I imagined him in my mind on the street in his rags and, and a skinny, skinny body. And I brought him a cup of steaming hot chocolate with a marshmallow in it. <laughs> And uh, that was the beginning of our friendship. And so what Callie was talking about is getting to know these parts of ourselves that are often causing havoc with us. And the havoc is because we have neglected them. Neglect causes the havoc. They want to be known by us. They don't want to act the way they're acting. And it's only through our teaching and mentorship and love and friendship and compassion toward them that they begin to shift and they can become friends and allies. As you say, and I'll repeat it again because it's so important. Everything wants to be known. And all of these things are opportunities. They are not our enemies. There are opportunities. There are higher selves. There are karmic paths screaming out to us and asking us for more love. Yep. Right? It's, it's unfinished business. Unfinished business meant to sort of catalyze and just redirect our attention so that, and it's hard because it's not our conditioning here on planet right. Earth or in this country. Oh, lean into this thing that's upsetting me? Who does right. that? I'd rather right. go have a martini or mm -hmm. take a run or have sex with my wife. Like who right. wants to, you know, I'd rather distract myself and escape. That's way more pleasant. But the truth is, from a spiritual perspective, these are all things that are asking for more of our love and attention. Yes, 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 yes. I learned that from a wise man in California once. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it really is. I mean, it's so I, that's probably the biggest takeaway of anything here with this theme. And again, you know, with depression, anxiety, any forms of mental illness, it really there's so many varying degrees. And there's people that are in the depths of some very serious versions of this. And it's more pervasive now. And often it can be um, created or brought about by lots of different circumstances and traumatic experiences. So we always recommend and support professional help of varying degrees. And this is just one nuance of what you, you know, what you can do. And obviously you can reach out to Steve for, for deeper guidance on this as well. And so uh, there are two numbers we're going to give you today. <clears throat> if you're needing help 24 seven, anytime, the national helpline 
is 800-662-4357. And then there's also a national text helpline where you can, you don't even have to talk to somebody live. You can text to them live. And that's texting 741741. And that's free. So thank you for that. When we're in our despair and we want to text somebody and we need some help, it's a beautiful way of doing it in an anonymous way. So I'm going to quickly give you our action steps. This is sort of a bonus since we already give you sort of the ladder of what to do to become unstuck. And I'm going to say these quickly as our clock ticks today because our show went very quickly. Number one, if you're dealing with anxiety, imagine a recent moment that felt um, anxiety producing for you. Step back and ask yourself what fears are underneath it that are causing it. Step number two, take that fear, write it down and ask yourself, is it real? If the answer is yes, Use a version of a mindfulness practice to watch it um, and when it comes up in other situations and get to know it a little bit better, which is an overlap of what we talked about earlier. And number three, if you're feeling like depression has really caught you in its web, try to commit to a practice. Give yourself five minutes where, and you can, it could be that you're forcing yourself to do it, but where you really decide to make a commitment just for one week, five minutes a day of stillness, whether it's meditating, walking, listening to music petting your dog, whatever it might be, to just distract you and take you away from what's taking up space in your mind and see if that can be the first step to opening up some space for you. Um, the other thing you can always do is reach out to Steve at stevehassenberg.com. He is here to help you in this professional realm. I'm here to help you as a friend. Um, with that, we want to thank everybody for joining us today. We didn't even get to the parts about mental illness and how they have plagued our lives for so long. We teased well, that we up and then we didn't get to that. that. Soon, right? We'll have another show because that's, that's right. deep stuff and just didn't fit into the realm of what we're talking about today. Ultimately, um, if you'd like to hear this podcast, you can go to unity online radio podcasts. You can join us on Instagram at one soul radio Facebook at One Soul Radio Podcast. Please engage with us. Let us know if there's topics you'd like us to cover in coming weeks. We're back now regularly live with fresh shows every week. Next week, our friend, teacher, both at a distance and directly, especially Steve, who had many years with Don Miguel Ruiz, the world's renowned, acclaimed writer of the Four Agreements. We are going to be talking about those Four Agreements how they have influenced our lives, and how we can hope that they do for you as well. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Callie. Thank you, Steve. Love you. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.